We are going to be in the book of James this morning. In the first chapter, we are in a series called Evidence. Um, Evidence. And we are answering and, and thinking through that question. If you or I were to be put on trial for being a follower of Jesus, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Would there be enough evidence to convict you? You say, Josh, that's kind of a legalistic question. That's okay. We spent the previous eight weeks before we started this series speaking about our our gospel identity and our grace-centered identity that is in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. In fact, last Sunday as we introduced this book of James last Sunday, we introduced it with what I believe is the most important verse of Scripture in this entire book. And that is James 1.1 where he begins, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this book of James is famous for being a book of works, telling us how we ought to live and the works that we should display as believers. But James wanted to make sure he started the book off understanding his identity. And keep in mind, this is James, we learned last week, the James, James the brother of Jesus, half-brother of Jesus. This is also... James, the pastor and leader of the church at Jerusalem. So I'll be honest with you, if I were writing this letter in my pride, I would say, James, the brother of Jesus and pastor of the church at Jerusalem. That's the way I would begin this, because I would want to develop some sort of leadership credibility among the the Jews that were dispersed, that's who he was writing to. But James did not do that. James had his identity wrapped, not in his family, the brother of Jesus, not in his accomplishments, the pastor of a church, but no, he had his identity rooted in a servant of Jesus Christ. And that was, in a nutshell, what we spoke about last Sunday. We must understand that we are coming from a gospel identity, an identity that is centered on Jesus. And everything that we speak about each week is going to flow from that identity. If you only take the book of James and you just isolate a few verses, it can be very works-driven, almost to the point of works, a works salvation. But we must take James in context. We must understand why James is saying the things that he's saying and what he's saying. But for James and for us, it should be, who he was preceded what he was to do. Who he was preceded what he was to do. And by the way, such is your life. Who you are will determine what you do. If you don't do much of anything then who you are is probably a lazy person. If you spend your time investing in others and in the poor and in outreach and serving others and and living selflessly, then probably at your core, you're a servant. Hopefully a servant of Jesus Christ. And so who we are impacts what we do. And throughout this book, actually, we will find some similarities to at least two other portions of Scripture. One of them being the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 through 8. The Sermon on the Mount where Jesus preaches. 
There are some direct similarities in the book of James and there in the book of Matthew at the Sermon on the Mount. We all know, and, and while we haven't preached through this text yet as a church, uh, if you are familiar with the text, that sermon uh, really highlights genuine righteousness. Not just following the letter of the law, thou shalt not kill, but following the spirit of the law. I say then, don't even hate your brother. Letter of the law, thou shalt not commit adultery. Letter of the law. Spirit of the law, don't even look upon someone to lust after them. You see, the Sermon on the Mount was about genuine righteousness, and we're going to find the book of James to be similar. Genuine righteousness. The second parallel to the book of James is the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. I believe this to be even more obvious in a lot of those areas. This book is laid out very similar to the book of Proverbs. James somewhat jumps from topic to topic and addresses different things, and sometimes there is a rhyme or reason. Other times, seemingly, there's not a rhyme or reason to jump from one topic to the other in the book of James. This reminds me, obviously, of Proverbs. And then James is seen as the book of wisdom for the New Testament, obviously, Proverbs being the book of wisdom for the Old Testament. A very important book. We mentioned last week that we must expect opposition and trials and problems if we're going to mature as followers of Jesus and if we're going to get the most out of this study in the book of James. We'll begin today's message with that exact thought. We must expect opposition, trials, and problems if we're going to truly mature as followers of Jesus. That's why today's sermon is simply titled, Finding Purpose in Your Problems. Finding Purpose in Your Problems. Before we read our text this morning, we do have the James Study uh, journals available. If you do not have one and you would like one, please um, Jeff will get, if anybody would like one, they're $5, I'm sorry we had to do that, but they are $5, it's cheaper than what you can get them for. Um, but if you would like one and you don't have one, slip your hand up and Jeff will get one to you. If not, no big deal. But if you would want one and you don't have one, no problem. Okay, cool. I just wanted to make sure before we got into it. Verse 2, beginning in chapter 1, verse 2, let's look at our text this morning. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness, steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. Verse 11, For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. 
so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Every single one of us in this room, in the past or currently, is experiencing some sort of problem. I don't know what that problem is, but every single one of us has or is experiencing some sort of problem in our life. In fact, I look at it this way. Life requires problems. If you're going to live this life, it's pretty much a requirement that you're going to go through problems. Especially if you're going to live life as a follower of Jesus. Because those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Scripture is very clear. But we must fundamentally understand this truth that every problem that we face is 100% under, the, under God's control. There's not a problem that you and I face or ever will face that he does not know about. And under God's control, these problems can accomplish his purposes in our lives. God is sovereign in our problems. He's sovereign in the bad times, just like he's sovereign in the good times. He's sovereign in the valleys, just like he's sovereign on the mountaintops. David Platt said it this way, Problems are not joyful in and of themselves, but they are joyful when we, are, when we realize that they are under the authority of a sovereign God who is accomplishing his purposes through them. Think about that. Our text today is one of the most crucial texts for a believer who seeks to mature spiritually into an authentic Christian life that's centered on Jesus. I pray this morning through the reading of the preaching of the word and the direction of the Holy Spirit that we find help this morning, finding purpose in our problems. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, lead, guide, and direct your word. God, remove me from the equation. Let your word shine through. Holy Spirit, have full, complete reign in here this morning. I pray that we would leave here with our lives fully dependent on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Number one, I'm going to jump right in this morning. I want us to see a perspective on our problems. A perspective on problems. Getting the proper perspective. Verse 2 says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And keep in mind here that James is speaking to a group of Jews, the dispersion it's called, that had been scattered. These were believing Jews. He calls them brothers and brethren. These were believing Jews that had been scattered. So they were probably not rich because they were an outcast wherever they went. They probably uh, suffered persecution wherever they went because here's the thing. If they were in a Gentile area, 
they were hated because they were Jews, right? And if they were around other Jews, they were hated because they were Messianic Jews. They were Jews that had accepted Jesus. And we know that the Jews in and of themselves had not accepted Jesus as their Messiah. And so wherever they went, these Messianic Jews were the outcast. And keep that in mind as James says to count it, <coughs> excuse me, count it all joy when problems arise. Count it all joy, dispersed Jews. Count it all joy, Messianic Jew, that even your own family who did not who rejected Jesus would look down upon. Count it all joy. That's tough. That's difficult. That's not easy. He's not saying this to somebody who's sitting on his yacht smoking a cigar. He's saying this to the outcast and to the poor and to the one who's been mistreated and oppressed. That word count, count it all joy. That word count alludes to the word consider. And if you think about that, that what that word actually means is to prepare your heart and your mind for what's to come. To be mentally prepared. Get your mind right about this. Prepare yourself mentally. Problems are going to come, and we better get our minds ready to remain joyful through problems. Look at the text again in verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. I'm sure you've seen this before, but let me remind you that the text does not say count it all joy if. But it says count it all joy when. When you meet trials. When you meet problems. Problems are a fact of life. And trials will be present. And we can do nothing about it. But why should we count it all joy? James goes on to explain it to us. In verse 3, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. These problems that we face and whatever problem you're going through right now in your life or you have gone through or you will be going through here in the near future, let me say to you this morning that your problems do have a purpose. And when we deal with our problems properly and we, and, we, and we stand firm through our problems, we will find out that we will grow in maturity as a believer in Jesus when problems arise. Look at the word steadfastness. Depending on what translation you have sitting in front of you, you may see a word there, maybe uh, perseverance, or you may see the word patience. And that word, according to... J.H. Rose means staying power. Staying power. Uh, Kent Hughes said that the word steadfastness carries the meaning of toughness. Toughness. So what will trials bring in the testing of your faith? Problems in your life will produce staying power. Toughness. Here's how it works. We develop toughness. Staying power, steadfastness, patience, and perseverance 
by repeatedly being tested by problems and prevailing through them. In a nutshell, that is today's message. If we had to sum it up in one statement, that we develop toughness and staying power and steadfastness and patience and perseverance by repeatedly being tested by problems and prevailing through them. Listen, folks, that is called spiritual maturity. Those of us that have lived life a little bit, look at a teenager, and no matter how mature that teenager may be for their age, we say, you know, there's just some things that you don't quite understand yet. You're just, you're, you're not, you haven't experienced life yet. And life will hit you and you'll understand some things a little better. You, y'all remember? Remember you when you were a teenager and then remember you now? <coughs> you see, it's the same in our, in our Christian lives. Oh, you know what? I, I haven't experienced those, those trials or I haven't had many of those problems in my life. And then some of us can say, well, just, just hold on. Just wait. Because they're going to come. And when they come, if we prevail through those problems... We're going to find a sense of toughness. We're going to find a sense of staying power, of perseverance, of steadfastness, of patience that we never thought we could, we could have. Here's a simple way of looking at it. Trials bring toughness. And toughness brings maturity. Trials bring toughness. And toughness brings maturity. Can can I say this morning that if you're a Christian that, that is thin-skinned, if everything offends you, everything in life um, rocks you and, and you're offended by every little thing and you always walk around mad at this person and not get along with this person and you don't like that person and, and that, remember a couple years ago that person said something to you and so, oh my goodness, maybe it's time to go through some trials and some problems. Because you know what you find when you go through pro- problems and trials? You develop a little bit of a thick skin. You develop a little bit more of a, a grit and a toughness. God's goal in our lives is spiritual mature, maturity and growth into his likeness. Notice being perfect and complete in verse 4. And one of the main pathways to this goal is when we endure the problems of this life. Here's a quote for you if you're a quote person. I am. I enjoy quotes that connect thoughts for me. When we understand the end goal of knowing God and being conformed into His likeness, we can truly take joy in problems because we know that those problems are moving us toward our goal. If we understand that the goal is to be closer to Christ and more like Christ, then when we experience a trial in our lives, we can count it all joy because we know that that trial is going to make us more like Christ. It makes sense. Listen, if this trial is what it takes for me to understand you more than God, I'll go through the trial. 
If this problem is what it takes in my life for me to experience spiritual maturity and growing more into your likeness, then, then, then we're walking through this trial. We're going to endure. We're going to be steadfast through the trial, through the, through the problem in our lives. And don't get it twisted this morning. It's commonly taught that trials in and of themselves would bring maturity, but may we understand it's not just trials or problems that bring the maturity, but it is fortitude and perseverance and endurance in times of those trials and problems that will produce maturity. Hey, just having a problem in your life is not going to automatically bring maturity. If you completely deal with your problems every time the wrong way and the non-biblical way, you're not going to grow in spiritual maturity. It is spiritual toughness. It's persevering through those problems that will bring the spiritual maturity. But this isn't easy. Finding a perspective and a, and a purpose in our problems is not easy. In fact, we would probably need some help. Right? I know if you're like me, you need some help with this. This isn't easy. God, there's a problem going on in my life, and I don't know how to deal with it. And I want to be tough. And I want to persevere. And I want to have steadfastness. But I can't find any. I'm glad you came that, to that point. Because number two this morning... We need wisdom in dealing with our problems. Hey, there is a reason why verse 5 follows up verses 2, 3, and 4. If you're struggling with verses 2, 3, and 4, here is verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You see, if you're like me this morning, I desperately need the wisdom of God to understand the problems that I'm facing in life. And to get a perspective on the problems that I'm facing. And to find a purpose for the problems that I'm facing. You see, in my flesh and in my earthly wisdom, I cannot perceive and I cannot see with my finite eyes what God is doing in the problems of my life. I don't understand the outcomes. I don't understand why I'm going through those problems. I don't understand why I'm having issues with this person or I'm having issues with that relationship. I have no idea. And so... You and I need wisdom. Wisdom different than knowledge is understanding for living. Wisdom is understanding for living. Can I say this? Then biblical wisdom would be understanding for living that surpasses earthly wisdom. Biblical wisdom is understanding for living that would surpass earthly wisdom, not in a condescending way, not in a we've got it figured out and you don't have it way, but in a supernatural way where God will give us wisdom that passes all understanding. Scripture teaches us that godly wisdom is rooted in the fear and the reverence of God. Job, man, there's a lot of lessons we can learn from the life of Job. Here's one of them. In Job chapter 28, Job teaches us a lesson. Job 28 and verse 12, Job asks this question. 
but where shall wisdom be found? There's the question. How can we find wisdom? Where can we locate it? In verse 15, Joseph, uh, Job says this, it cannot be bought for gold and silver cannot be weighed as its price. So where can we get wisdom? Where can we find wisdom? Well, you can't buy it. Can't buy it. Verse 18 in the same chapter says, the price of wisdom is above pearls. Even if you could buy it, you probably don't have the money to buy it. It's priceless. Wisdom. Verses 23 and 24 of Job 28. God understands the way to it, and he knows its place. He looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. Hey, God knows. God knows what wisdom is and where to find it. Job is just walking us down this path. And he gets finally to verse 28 of chapter 28 in the book of Job. And God said to man, so God knew, and God said to man, Behold the fear of the Lord. That is wisdom. Behold the fear of the Lord. That is wisdom. Consider, if you would, two additional Old Testament verses. Psalm 111.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs in chapter 9 and verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You see, that word fear is not a, it's not a, a once again, a condescending of like, you need to be afraid of me. No, it's a, it is an awe, A-W-E. Um, it's a reverence. It's a proper view of an almighty, all-powerful, fair and just, holy God. Listen, we will begin to understand wisdom. We begin to understand the greatness and vastness and powerful being that is our creator God. And we begin to look to him in fear, not in an afraid fear, but in an awe, in a respect. Here is wisdom, the fear of the Lord. You know what's neat about the verses in James? It seems that God is eagerly waiting to give us this wisdom. He is waiting. It's like he has a bunch of wisdom, and he's just like, just ask. I'll give you all you want. I'll give it to you liberally. I'll give you this wisdom. I'm ready. Just ask. He wants to give you wisdom. He wants to give me wisdom. He wants to give us wisdom as we face the problems and the trials of this life. He is simply asking for, waiting for us to ask him for it. Remember, it would include us having fear and awe and reverence toward him. Notice what he says, though, in this text of James, that we have to go all in when we choose this godly wisdom. Don't straddle the fence when you ask God for wisdom. 
James warns us that we must act in faith without doubting because James says that if, if we doubt, we are like a double-minded man who is unstable in all of our ways. If we say, hey God, I want, I want wisdom and, and how to deal with this problem or to find a purpose for this problem, so God, give me the wisdom. And then he starts to give us that wisdom and we say, ugh, I don't believe, I, I, like, I kind of like my foot still over here in what I expected. I don't really like what God's saying. And so here I go. Man, I actually did about fall right there. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> this rug is moving. All right. Um, and we straddle and we straddle and we straddle and we straddle. And it's not long before your spiritual pants rip when you do this. We become unstable. And before long, we got serious problems. We're unstable in all our ways. James says, no, listen, if you're going to seek this, this godly wisdom, if you're going to seek this wisdom that, that only can come from our creator, then, then you've got you, you to ask in faith without doubting. Listen, you've got to say, God, I'm going to ask for your wisdom in this problem. And God, whatever you tell me, I'm taking it to the bank. God, whatever you show me in this problem, hey, I'm all, I'm all in. I don't care if I like the answer that you give me or I don't like the answer that you give me. I don't care if I understand the answer you give me or I, I can't understand the answer you give me. God, I'm in. Give me your wisdom. Don't doubt. For you, like so many of us have found ourselves, a doubting person, unstable in all our ways. Leaning to the left and falling over. Leaning to the right and falling over. Unstable. Unstable. You see, we need a perspective on our problems, but we need wisdom in dealing with those problems. Thirdly, we need to understand who faces problems. Understanding who faces problems. Let the lowly brother, verse 9, boast in his exaltation. We spoke of the lowly brother. Okay, verse 10. And the rich in his humiliation. We spoke of the rich. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers in the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Hey, listen, this is the terminology here may be a little bit difficult to understand, but in a nutshell, this is going back to count it all joy when. When. These verses simply tell us that the ground is level when it comes to who experiences problems and trials in this life. Problems are an equal opportunity offender. Problems have a strict non-discriminatory clause in them. They don't discriminate. They're an equal opportunity offender. See, problems this morning are for the rich and problems this morning are for the poor. Problems this morning are for the famous, and problems this morning are for the unknown. Problems this morning are for the young, and problems this morning are for the old. Problems are for the spiritually strong and for the spiritually weak. Problems are here, and they're here to stay. Problems are here, and you're never going to grow out of them. They're going to be here. Your problems just may take on a different face. Your problems may take on a different feel. But your problems 
will be there. When you meet trials of various kinds. When you meet trials of various kinds. Can you say that with me? Just that phrase. When you meet trials. Say it again. When you meet trials. Listen. You can't buy your way out of them. You can't isolate yourself yourself out of them. Trials and problems will come, and they're an equal opportunity offender. I wish that I could tell you this morning that if you'll walk with Jesus and you'll live in the Spirit and you'll serve Him with your life, that there will come a point in time in your life where God will say, okay, we're good. No more problems and trials. Kind of like a retirement, right? It's like... It's like, we're going to have cake, you retired, and now go spend these next few years in the Caribbean or in Florida. Unfortunately, that's not the reality. Trials don't discriminate. And from now until the day that we slip off into eternity, whenever that is for each one of us, we will face those problems. We are not unique in the fact that we experience problems. Now, our problems may be unique, but the fact that we are facing problems, every single person in this room faces problems. Every single one. Every single one. So we need understanding about who faces problems. And then lastly this morning, we need to understand the rewards for enduring problems. The rewards that come for enduring problems. Look at verse 12, the final verse of our text this morning. Blessed, or we understand that word to mean happy as well, is the man who remains steadfast in the good times. Not what it says. Remember, happy is the man. I'm going to remove the who remains steadfast, just so we understand the perspective right here. Blessed is the man under trial. Blessed is the man under trial. Now, I do appreciate blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. I want to make sure we understand this. Problems in and of themselves do not result in spiritual maturity or blessings or Christ-likeness. Remaining steadfast, enduring, prevailing through our problems brings spiritual maturity, blessings, and Christ-likeness. We can only accomplish that if any of you lack wisdom. Let him ask of God. He'll give it to you, liberally. But you must ask in faith, not doubting. Don't think of this crown of life that we speak of in verse 12 as like, here's your, uh, here's your Disney princess crown. You know, you get to Disney World and here's your crown that you get to wear 
you know, while you're at Disney World. We're not necessarily speaking of that physical crown, even though I know if I told my nine-year-old that she got a physical princess crown, she would be the best nine-year-old ever to walk the face of this earth. And she ain't. All right. But uh, this is obviously more of a spiritual symbol. And that crown of life is an abundant and an eternal life that is gloriously awaiting the followers of Jesus who endure trials and temptations. Hey, listen, if there's one thing that we learn in trials and temptations is that we, we long for heaven. We long for the eternal. We long during our trials and testings and our in life, hey, we long to be with our Savior. You see, and when we endure and persevere and remain steadfast in our problems, we'll receive that crown of life. So we can count it all joy this morning that we are facing these problems because these problems and these trials will remind us that we are living for another world, that our citizenship is not here in this world, but our citizenship is in heaven, that crown of life. It's an eternal citizenship, and we can truly view our lives as we ought to as a vapor. We can truly view our lives as we ought to if, if from this end of the gym to that end of the gym is our lives, we can view our lives for what they really are, and that is about that right there. Uh, let's get a little bit closer. In the, in the grand scheme of eternity, our lives here on this earth it doesn't matter if you live to be 14 or 94. In the grand scheme of eternity, and you know when we will endure trials, and we'll endure problems, we'll understand, hey listen, I'm just temporarily living here. This world is not my home. I've got a better day coming. I've got a home eternally waiting for me. I've got a maker, a creator God who I long to meet face to face, a Savior Jesus who did it all for me on, the Calvary, on Calvary's tree, and I long to meet him. I'm sure you're like me this morning. You know these truths from Scripture. Nothing that we said today was like groundbreaking and earth-shattering. If you're like me, you're like, okay, Josh, that's a great reminder but can I be honest, even though I know these truths, often I still struggle to find a purpose for the problems in my life. Even though I know the truth, when God allows a trial or a problem to invade my life, I handle it as if I didn't know Jesus. I handle it as if I didn't have the Holy Spirit living inside of me. I see those problems as merely inconveniences that take up my time and energy and I wish they'd just get out of my life and move away. Remember what we said in the beginning, God is sovereign in our trials. God doesn't always want to remove you from your circumstances. God does not always want to remove you from your circumstances. If you're struggling this morning to find purpose in your problems, I want to combine two phrases from our text this morning. And I don't believe in combining these two phrases that I'm taking any of it out of context at all. Let him ask God 
with no doubting. You're struggling this morning seeing a purpose in your problem. Let him ask God with no doubting. Basically, God, I'm with you in this problem, and I'm all in with you. My chips are all on the table. God, I'm going through this problem, and I don't, I don't understand. It's been going on now for years, or maybe this is a new trial this, and problem that's coming to my life. God, I don't understand this, but I'm, I'm all in with you. I'm not doubting. I'm trusting you. Where you lead, I'll follow. Where you discipline, I'll subject myself. Where you speak, I'll listen. Where you show me, I will understand. God has a supernatural purpose for every single problem that you or I face. He ultimately wants to receive the glory. You say, Josh, that doesn't make any sense. I, understand, I know. To our, in our finite minds, that doesn't make sense. God wants to send us a trial so that he can somehow be glorified. It's at the core of Scripture. Sometimes we can't see the purpose of the problem with our own fleshly eyes and our own carnal minds. So we must ask God with no doubting, lean on him, trust him, give him glory, ask him for wisdom to find the purpose in your problems. James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. What's the first thing, James, the Solomon of the New Testament? What's the first thing, James, the writer of this book of wisdom? What's the first thing, James, pastor of a huge church? What's the first thing we're going to talk about? What are some things we ought to do because of who we are? And he says, hey, you're going to face problems. You're going to face trials. You're going to face opposition. Count it joy. That doesn't mean we're like, yes, another problem. That means sometimes, can I be real, Dawn, through tears, you say, I don't understand, but God does. I don't understand, but you know what? If this trial is going to draw me closer to him, isn't that the purpose of my life? Hey, if that problem I'm facing is going to make me more like Christ, well, isn't that what discipleship is? Isn't that what sanctification is? You see, we want to know him in the power of his resurrection. Amen. Woo! Easter. And in the fellowship of his sufferings. Good Friday. We want God, we want Jesus in his resurrection. But I'm not sure how much we want to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. This morning, if you're facing a problem and a trial, I bring you hope today. I don't bring you hope in yourself. I don't bring you hope today in, in trying a little harder. 
I don't bring you hope today in trying to muster up the courage to face your problems. I bring you hope today in taking your problem and laying it down. And saying, God, I can't. This trial I'm going through, God, I, I can't. I can't. But you can. God, give me wisdom. I'm all in. I don't, know, I don't know how to handle this. I don't know what to do. I've tried and I've tried. I don't know what to do. God, I'm yours. I'm yours. Take this problem and take this trial. And somehow, I don't get it. Somehow, use it for your glory. May you receive the glory. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that is true Christian living. If you're here today and you say, Josh, I don't get that. There is no, no. I don't get that. I don't get what you're talking about. I don't understand how we can just throw our problems onto God. I mean, God, when I was growing up, God was the, the disciplinarian. God was the, the one who always was wrathful. And God was the one who was always telling me when I did wrong. And then as I got older, God just became a, a terminology I heard people use. And even using it in profanity as I grew. You know, I don't understand this. Well, can I say this? If you've never experienced your creator God through his son, Jesus Christ, that is the gospel. That is the good news. James, the servant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ, he came to a point, even Jesus' own half-brother, came to a point where he believed on the name of the Son of God, his brother. And if you've not come to that point in your life where you could call yourself a servant of Jesus, and you've never experienced the salvation power that Jesus brings, this morning we just recognize our sin. Maybe that conviction that you're feeling in your heart even now. We must recognize our sin. We must repent of that sin. And then we must believe. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent. Believe. Repent. Believe. That's the good news this morning. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media ministry and outreach ministry of Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and all around the world. Visit keystonerdu.church to get involved.